This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 21, Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 21. And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angels, or of the angel rather, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms." And blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. As we've been examining these songs, we've seen the song of Mary, and we saw the song of Zacharias this morning. We looked at the angel's song. And this evening, as we conclude this study of these two chapters, we are going to look at the song of Simeon, and though the words of praise are not given to us, as far as the prophetess Anna, 
Uh, we understand that she is exuberant and joyful and rejoicing in seeing uh, the child. And she is praising God uh, for his goodness and his faithfulness. And so I want us to look this evening at this subject, songs in the temple. Songs in the temple. When you think about music and you think about God's people, God's people are a singing people, are they not? We find this in the very earliest times, and we, we find that God's people in their worship to him uh, were singing uh, after crossing uh, the sea on dry ground, Moses sings a song. And the people of God rejoicing in the victory that God gave them in the deliverance of the Lord have a song to sing. And so we find that wherever God's people are gathered on earth, whether it be in a tabernacle in the Old Testament or in a temple in the Old Testament, and in the early phases of the new, whether they be in a synagogue in the early days or whether they be in a New Testament church today, they are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God has given his people a song. David was the great Hebrew hymn writer, and if we study the psalms, we're going to find out how to pray, and we're going to find out how to praise God in good times and in bad times. We're going to find out how to pray and how to praise the Lord. And so we find these songs throughout the scriptures, and we find that God's people are a singing people. And we find, as the scene is, is unveiled for us in the book of Revelation, when we get to heaven, we're going to keep singing. And some of us will do it better than we've ever done it before. And I'm looking forward to that time. I like to sing. The problem is, is nobody likes to hear me. And I have a song that God has given me, and you have a song that God has given you. You know, singing glorifies God, doesn't it? Oh, we heard that last Sunday evening when our choir uh, sang those wonderful songs during the cantata presentation. We hear that when our congregation comes together. Uh, singing glorifies God. God. Do you know what else singing does? It stirs the soul. Singing stirs the soul. Uh, you can come in after a hard day in the middle of the week and uh, your mind is pulled a thousand different ways. You're tired and you're weary and you think, I don't even know if it's good for me to be here tonight. Let me tell you, it's always good for you to be here tonight, right? But how when we come together and we sing these powerful words, that have been written for us, as we sing from our hearts to God, as we hear our neighbors lifting their voice, as we fix our minds upon the words on the hymnal page, they begin to stir our soul. They inform the mind and they quicken the spirit. And before long, we've forgotten about how we feel and the troubles we've been facing. Because all we can do at that point is praise the Lord. It stirs the soul. You know that singing promotes worship. If you have a singing church, you have a worshiping church. And singing promotes worship. Singing communicates truth. 
Oh, the powerful truths that we find as we mentioned in the hymns that we sang this morning and in the hymns that we sang this evening. It communicates truth. Do you know what we need in this hour? This hour of so much of a touchy-feely ideology, we need the truth of God's word. We need truth, and singing communicates truth. Singing strengthens the weak. I can think of songs. I can be in a meeting where they're singing songs that I sang in, in our church growing up as a child, and maybe I haven't heard that song in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, but because I sang it as a child, I can remember it. Just get me started, and I can sing it. And one of these days, my mother and I are going to muster the courage to stand up here and sing a few for you. The problem is nobody else will be able to muster the courage to sit there and listen. I grew up, I grew up singing out of the red back book, the church hymnal with shape notes and all. And, uh, that's just the way it was. And those songs got in my heart and, and all these songs that we've sung throughout the years, we, our kids have sang, sang them and, and, uh, they, they have had this truth and, and these lyrics embedded in their hearts and minds and, and they can at a moment, having heard the tune or just a few lines of the song, can join in. God has given us a song to sing. And we find that when God's people come into his temple, they come singing, especially when Jesus is there. And singing is what we offer to him in our praise, and he loves to hear the songs of his people. I cannot overstate the importance of congregational singing in our services, in our meetings. And may God help us to come with expectant hearts, thankful hearts, ready to sing. As we think about these songs in the temple, I want you to notice a few things that I think will help us this evening, and I wish that every family in our church were here tonight because I truly believe this would help them. But I want us to notice, first of all, faithful parents. Faithful parents. Notice, if you would, again, in verse number 21, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The firstborn of the house was to be the high priest of the home. He was the oldest. He had the birthright, and he was to be the leader of his family, uh, not just the leader uh, as far as family life is concerned, but leadership as far as spiritual life was concerned. He was the leader of the family, the next generation. Now, the father was to be the leader of the sons, no doubt, but the firstborn son would one day assume the leadership role 
in the family. Now, the Lord, after uh, the people had come through uh, out of Egypt and into the land, the Lord designated that the Levites stand in the place of the firstborn. And the Levites as a tribe were dedicated to the Lord. And at that time then, every family were to redeem the firstborn through a sacrifice, through an offering. And so we find that they presented the Lord Jesus, the firstborn, through this sacrifice, through this offering. In verse number 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so a sacrifice was made. It is the sacrifice of the poor that is given here. And God makes provision for the poor. And the Bible says, verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If the family could not afford to uh, offer a lamb, then they could bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And we find that that is what Joseph and Mary, who were not wealthy, that is what they brought to the Lord. We find here that they are faithful parents. They brought their son. Of course, this is not Joseph's biological son in any way, but Joseph is his uh, adoptive father. Joseph is responsible for his upbringing. And what did they do as faithful parents? They did the duty that God had commanded them to do. Do you know what our job as a parent is? To do what God has commanded us to do. I think sometimes in this culture and in this world, it is, it is very easy for us to uh, find pressures that the world would lay upon us. I know that oftentimes women especially are under, great deal, uh, under a great deal of pressure that they, they, they feel from others, and sometimes maybe they place upon themselves, but they, they, want to be, they want to be good mothers, and they want to raise their children the right way, and so there's a lot of pressure that is placed upon them. They're trying to meet the needs of their children, and they're concerned about the opinions of those who uh, are watching. But friends, the... The opinion that matters most is God's opinion. And if we want to be successful parents, then we'll be obedient to God. We don't have to have them enrolled in every program and involved in every competition. They don't have to make a certain grade on their report card. Let me pause right there and say that's no excuse for you who aren't doing your best, by the way. We just have to honor God and obey him. And so we find that these parents were obedient to God. Now, they were faithful to God's purpose. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 21. It says, and when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called, don't miss this now, his name was called Jesus, all caps. You know what Jeho Jesus means? It means Jehovah saves, God our Savior. That's what his name means. And in naming him, the angel communicated what name God had chosen for him. The purpose of this child is revealed. 
The purpose that he has is according to God's redemptive purpose to save the world from sin. We as parents must be faithful to God's purpose. The greatest thing we can raise our children to do is not fulfill the purpose that they discover for themselves. That's a very dangerous thing, is it not? Because we might discover the wrong purpose. It isn't the purpose that we would delight in them fulfilling even as parents. What we should raise our children to do is to do God's will for their lives, to discover what God's purpose is. And there are very clear things that we find in the Scripture concerning the purpose of God. And God's purpose in the world today is that the world would know him and be saved from their sin. That's why our church exists. That's the only reason our church exists, to fulfill God's purpose to carry out God's plan. And for our child, our children, to discover what God's purpose is and their particular place in his purpose. That's why he's gifted them all differently. He, he's created them differently. They're all, they all have different appearance. They all have different character traits. They all have different personalities. They all have different gifts. They all have different abilities. And those have been given to them by God. They're not all going to be high academic achievers. They're not all going to be high athletic achievers. Uh, they're going to be different. But God made them and designed them particularly for his purpose. And as, God, as parents, we must be faithful to God's purpose as a parent, are you in line with God's purpose for your life and for the lives of your children? I think that's an important question for us to ask, isn't it? Or do we have our own plans and purposes and we just hope that God will rubber stamp our order form? Not only were they faithful to God's purposes, but I want you to see secondly, they were faithful to God's precepts. They were faithful to God's precepts. They bring this child in. Verse number 23, they offer the sacrifice as it is written in the law of the Lord. They were faithful to God's word. They were faithful to his precepts, obedient to his commands. And here's what we find. We might have this idea that because he was the son of God, they didn't have to teach him anything. But he became a man without ceasing to be God, which means he learned as you and I learn. He was taught. And so his parents had the responsibility to teach him. Notice in verse number 41, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Imagine this, the Son of God, eternal God, was in the form of a helpless infant, totally at the mercy of his parents who had the responsibility to nourish him, to protect him, uh, to clothe him, and to teach him. And this they did. They taught their son the scriptures. Imagine the first time 
that Jesus, the Son of God, heard the Word of God with human ears. Imagine who was reading to him when he heard it. Maybe it was the tender voice of Mary. Maybe it was the stern voice of Joseph. But there's no doubt he heard it from his family. He heard it from his parents. The first time he ever heard God's word communicated to his human ears, he heard it at home. But it didn't stop there, did it? No. They took him to the synagogue in Galilee. They took him to the temple to worship God. And the Bible tells us that as they did so, he grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Where did that come from? You say, well, he was the son of God. Yes, he was. But he had parents who loved him and supplied his needs and taught him the truth. And may God help us as parents to do the same for our children. Sometimes people say, well, I brought my child to the youth group and it, they didn't get it. I had them in Sunday school, but they didn't get it. I enrolled them in the Christian school, but they didn't get it. By the way, let me remind you, it is their choice that determines often whether or not they will get it. But let me also say this. If our children are to get it, then the place for them to start to get it is at home. It has to be taught and it has to be modeled at home by imperfect but sincere parents. Our kids have to know this is real to us, right? And by the way, there are many who may not have that advantage, but yet they get it. But if we expect them to get it, we've got to live it and we've got to teach it in our home. These were faithful parents. They were faithful to God's purposes. They were faithful to God's precepts. And they brought their child to church. Do you know what cannot be overstated as far as importance? Simple, obedient faithfulness to God. People who are steadfast and faithful. Let me tell you, that pays dividends that cannot be measured on this earth, faithfulness. Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found what? Faithful. And God has called us all to be his stewards as his children. And may God help us to be faithful. And our children recognize if we are faithful or not. They may not always appreciate it, but there will be a time when they do. Now, how many of you had faithful parents who took you to church? Do you appreciate them more today than you did before? Without a doubt. I appreciate the faithfulness of my parents. I appreciate the fact that my dad got up and went to work. I appreciate the fact he worked sometimes two jobs to allow me to be involved in a Christian school. I'm thankful for that. And that means more to me today than it did back then. I didn't have enough sense to appreciate it then. 
And your children oftentimes, I, I don't mean to be unkind, but they might be like me and most likely are. They don't have enough sense sometimes to recognize what you're doing for them. But they will if you'll be steadfast and true. Be faithful. Be faithful. And so that leads me to our second point. Not only faithful parents, but we see faithful people. The parents came into the temple, and when they came into the temple to bring their child, to dedicate him to the Lord, uh, they were faithful as parents, but they encountered others who were there who were faithful people. And the Lord calls out for us in this passage two of them. I want you to notice again, if you would please, in verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now here they come, Joseph and Mary, into the temple to dedicate the child, to name him Jesus, God our Savior, according to God's purpose, according to God's precepts, and when they come in, they are greeted by a man who is a stranger, perhaps to them, named Simeon. But he's not a stranger to God. He's not a stranger to God's people. He's not a stranger in the temple. He is a man of God. He's a faithful man. And when he sees them come in, what does he do? The Bible said as he came by the Spirit, verse 28, then took he that's the baby, the child, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. God, our salvation, that's the name of the child. Lord, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He takes the baby in his hands, he raises him up to the heavens, and he praises God that he had the opportunity to see this child. That is Simeon. Now we find in verse 36, a woman named Anna, the Bible says a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So here are two people, perhaps overlooked by most in Jerusalem, without position, without notoriety, but they're in the temple. And they encounter Joseph and Mary and the baby. Don't you thank God for the lives of people who have touched the lives, uh, not only your life, but the lives of your children? Aren't you thankful that when you come to church, there are real people sitting in these, not pews, but chairs. There are people sitting in these, I'll just use the word pews, it sounds better, sitting in the pews who have touched the lives of your kids. 
Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you thankful for that? When they, this, this young couple with their child, no doubt full of fear and concern for what the people are going to think about them, Mary having this child, not having united with her husband in marriage, although they are married officially, all the rumors and all the innuendo, here they are, this poor couple from Galilee, ridiculed and looked down upon, gossiped about and talked about. Here they come, this timid couple, wondering how could anybody believe what we're going to say is true, yet having seen all of the miraculous things that had taken place, now they come in and they meet Simeon and Anna. Don't you think they were encouraged? You know, it's not easy being a parent today, is it? And I, I, I want to tell you, it's not going to get any easier, is it? And, uh, you know, by the time you figure out how to do it, you're too old to do it anymore, right? And the only way to train is train as you go. It's like learning how to swim by being thrown in the river. And be careful not to develop a critical spirit towards someone's family or toward their children. Be very careful about that. But be an encourager. Be a helper. Be a prayer warrior on behalf of that family. Encourage those parents help them. This is what Simeon and Anna do. They're faithful people, faithful to God, and God is going to use them to be a blessing to Joseph and Mary and to be a witness of his son. Now, there's some things I want you to notice they had in common. First of all, they were both old. They were both old. Let me tell you something. Just because you're old doesn't mean God's finished with you. God's not finished with you. Uh, listen, the Bible said we are to occupy till he comes. We are to do the work of him that sent us while it is day for the night comes. Well, I got some good news for you. The night hasn't come yet. God still has something for you to do. Now, you may not be able to do what you used to do, or you may not be able to do what you want to do, maybe because of health, maybe because of other things. But let me tell you, you can do something for the glory of God. And your presence here cannot be underestimated. So be a blessing. They were old, but God wasn't finished with them. Some of the most influential people in my life have been people who were in their elderly years. And I thank God for them. And by the way, if you're a young person, you should learn to respect your elders. Amen? Learn to respect your elders. They were both old. They were both faithful. Simeon, the Bible said, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's a faithful man. We don't know much more about him, but we know he was just. That means he was, he was living righteously. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't holy. He wasn't sinless, but he was doing the right thing. Do you know that God expects us to do the right thing? Hey, young person, you want to bless life? You, you want to finish your race with joy? then learn to do the right thing. As older people, we have no excuse not to continue to do the right thing. He was just. He was devout. It means he loved God. He was dedicated to him. He worshiped him. 
waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel, waiting for the Messiah. He had faith to believe. Do you know what set Caleb apart from the rest of the spies, he and Joshua? They had a heart that believed God. And as a 40-year-old man or more, Caleb believed and trusted God. And as a man of 80 years of age or older, do you know what? He still had that same heart. Listen, let's keep trusting God and believing God. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Then you think about Anna. What do we know about her according to the scripture? Well, we know she was a woman who was pure. We know that she was a woman who was a widow. We know that she was a servant of the Lord, and she fasted and prayed night and day, departing not from the temple. Here's a woman who stayed in the house of God, who dwelled in the house of God, who fasted and prayed. Maybe that's all she could do, but let me tell you, she was faithful to do it. They were both old. They were both faithful. They were both filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Scripture, or the Holy Spirit, rather. Ephesians 5 and verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, how do I do that? Well, the moment you received Christ, you, you were filled with the Holy Spirit then. Amen? And you didn't lose him. The problem is you just filled up with other things beside him. Selfishness, resentment, and lust, and pride, and self-will, you name it. Those things begin to crowd Christ out of our lives. We must empty ourselves of those things so that we might be filled with the Holy Ghost. And these people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what would change our Sunday morning meetings and our Sunday evening meetings and our Wednesday night meetings? Do you know what would change him is if God's people came to God's house in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? We could have the touch of God in our church services every time if we sang from the first note to the last amen with the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And friend, that is what we need. We don't need a show. We don't need a performance. We don't need a ritual. We need the power of the Holy Ghost upon us. And there's no cheap, easy way to get that. And you don't just turn it on and turn it off when you walk out these doors. We have to come filled with the Holy Spirit. And he came. The Bible says, uh, notice, if you will, in verse 27, and he came by the capital S Spirit into the temple. He came into the temple to worship God, led and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the way we ought to come to the house of God. That means some preparation has to come. That means there needs to be some expectancy. That means there needs to be some self-examination. That means we have to put aside ourself and our preferences, and we have to yield to him and say, Lord, fill me with thy spirit. He came by the spirit. And Anna worshiped the Lord, filled with the spirit. They were both old. They were both faithful. They were both filled. Hey, they were both rewarded. Don't you want to be blessed when you come to the house of God? It's amazing. Some are and some are not. What makes the difference? Well, it's all in how you come. It's all in how that you worship. It's all in, in what you expect God to do. But here are two people who were filled with the Spirit who came expecting God were going to do something. They had demonstrated a 
pattern of faithfulness, and guess what the Lord did? He rewarded both of them. I don't know how many times Simeon had come into the temple. I don't know how many times Anna walked up and down in the temple fasting and praying. I don't know, but I know on this time, this occasion, something wonderful happened. They saw Jesus. He was there. Friends, I want to tell you, we too one day will see Jesus. We can share in his ministry. By the way, we can see him every time we come to this place. We can see him in the morning when we get up. We can see him in the afternoon. We can see him uh, at break time tomorrow at work. We, we can see him through the difficulties and the trials of life because he has promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. The Savior who came is the same Savior who died. He's the same Savior who rose again. He's the same Savior that uh, uh, has redeemed us of all of our sin. He's the same Savior that abides with us every hour. We can be with him and commune with him any moment that we like. Simeon took him up and said, this is him. And Anna began to praise God and said, this is him. They were rewarded. And let me tell you, if you're faithful to God, if you honor God, if you're obedient to God, let me tell you what you are going to enjoy. You're going to enjoy the blessings of God. You're going to enjoy his rewards. What are his rewards? It's not the things maybe that we would put on a list and say, these are the things we hope to get. No, it is him himself. And by the way, he who gave us his own son, shall he not with him also give us all things freely? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things that we need, the things that occupy our mind 24 hours a day sometimes, the things that we worry aren't going to happen, the things that we worry we won't have, those are the things that he knows and that we need, and those are the things that he has promised to supply, but my God shall supply all your need according to what? His riches and glory. They were both rewarded. Hey, they were both used to edify others. Notice the response of Joseph and Mary to Simeon. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. You see, God was working in their hearts. God was using Simeon and Anna to be a blessing to them. Uh, verse number 38, the Bible says, And she, that's Anna, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Not only were they used to edify Joseph and Mary, but they were used to edify others because Anna praising God in the temple, Simeon holding that baby up. Do you know what happened? People were looking around, and they were wondering, who is this? And Simeon says, this is God, our Savior. This is the one he promised I would see. This is the consolation of Israel. Anna rejoicing, running all over the temple, leaping, no doubt, and praising God best she could. She is saying to all, this is him. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And all who were in the temple heard it. And they went home that evening, and they said, how was church tonight? Well, something really unusual happened. You know that old lady I was telling you about, Anna? The one who's always asking me if she can pray for me. Yeah, I've heard you talk about her. 
she was running around there tonight. And she was pointing to a baby. And she said, he's the Savior. And as I was leaving, I bumped into John. And you know what John told me? He said, hey, do you know that guy Simeon that sits in the back? Oh, yeah, I know him. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. He took a baby up in his arms tonight and said he was the Messiah, the Son of God. What an unusual thing. And they went home, and they shared those stories. And in that same temple about 12 years later, the child Jesus is a 12-year-old boy filled with the knowledge of the Scriptures taught to him at home that he had studied, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood amongst the doctors and lawyers and questioned among them and baffled the religious leaders because he knew the Scripture better than they. Don't you think they took note of it? And then when John showed up 18 years later on the wilderness of Judea preaching the baptism of, uh, for the remission of sins, repentance, and turning back to God, don't you think they put two and two together and said, wait a minute, this is uh, Zacharias' baby. This is Elizabeth's child. You remember the one, they were well past the age, and, and remember he lost his voice? You remember that? Oh, yeah. I, I, or, did you hear that story? Oh, yeah, I, I heard that story. And we knew something strange was going on. We knew this was not just any child. And now look at him. He's preaching. He's preaching about this Messiah. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they say, Wait a minute. Isn't that the one that the shepherds testified about? Isn't that the one? You remember the wise men came, and, and they said, where, where is the Messiah? Where will he be born? You remember that? And Herod had all the babies put to death. And, and Joseph and Mary, they went down to Egypt, and, and then he came back, and that's the one that stood in the temple at the age of 12 and baffled the lawyers. And, and now this is the one that John is saying. He's the Lamb of God. And remember they said that Mary was a virgin. It was, you see, they had the knowledge of the truth. It was all around them. And yet there were many who still rejected it. God has given us the knowledge of the truth. You know how special that is? I hope you children will understand how good God is to you to let you be in a home where you have parents who love you enough to bring you to church, where you have a Bible in your hand and you can know God's word. You can know God's truth in a dark day. Your soul's not bound for hell. You have hope in heaven for all eternity. Praise be to God. Let there be songs in the temple. Let there be songs in the house of God. He's a wonderful Savior. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link 
provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.